today we're continuing in our sermon series, Blessed to be a Blessing. As you know, we're focusing on Joseph, and that's found in the book of Genesis. And we're going to be talking about the gift of civic, and that'll come later. But I want to be sure to highlight the fact that this gift uh, review that you're going through, many of you are going through and Discover Your Gifts book. Uh, some of the life groups are doing it still. Some have already done it and went on to other studies. Some of you have done it on your own to, to in a sense, uh, find out what your gift is. Some of us may have known it, but sometimes when we read in a book or take a survey as it allowed us to do, things get highlighted through that. And that's what the Discover Your Gifts uh, program that Pastor Brian laid out was intended to do to highlight some of the gifts that you already have and acknowledge them so you can use them to the glory of God. Today's gift is civic, but before I highlight any of that point about civic, I want to do a build-up on some other points. Uh, there's a reading that we're going to have from Genesis 45, but I'm going to read some others from Genesis as well in this Blessed to be a Blessing series. Joseph, our main character from the Old Testament, as Jeff clearly highlighted, we aren't talking about Joseph, the father of Jesus, the earthly father of Jesus, but we're talking about Joseph, who was one of the 12 sons of Jacob that we find in the Old Testament. Some of you may recall the character in the Old Testament, Jacob. He had a twin brother named Esau, but he wasn't nice to his brother. And actually, his mother, Rachel, schemed in order for Jacob to get Esau's birthright. So that's an interesting family dynamic when you have a mother scheming with the other to get the birthright. But that's what they did. And Jacob had a vision of a ladder leading to heaven. Some of you have heard of Jacob's ladder. And he also had a time as described in the Bible in Genesis 32, where he wrestled with man or God. Let me read that. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob is not your typical biblical figure. Just imagine if you were out in the wilderness and you met somebody and you wrestled with them and they touched you and you were disabled to a point. Jacob had this wrestling match out in the wilderness. Some say with an angel, some say with man, some say with God himself. Well, God's the only one that can rename someone and God renamed Jacob Israel. So now you have the father, Israel, who has 12 sons. You've heard of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Here we go. Jacob was blessed with an 11th son. His name was Joseph. And actually, the Bible tells us this in chapter 37. So I'd like to start reading some of the scripture that I'm going to highlight at this time. We can find it here. In 37 beginning at verse three. Now Israel, who was Jacob, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in old age and made him an ornate robe for him. Now parents, Sarah and I have never been blessed with children, but would you ever put in writing that you love one of your children more than the other to be read throughout the centuries? 
little tough, but here it is. It's clear. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And as Jeff highlighted, Joseph knew this. Remember that. Joseph knew this. The verse I just read also included the ornate robe reference, and that's the coat of many colors. And, and I do remember being a Sunday school teacher and pulling out that lesson and having the young children take their crayons out and color the coat and have it come out in a very interesting, not as nice as the one that's probably behind me right on the screen, but nevertheless, that's what we did back in the day. Continuing in the reading from 37, verse 26 and following, Judah said to his brothers, so this is one of the 12, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother, Joseph? Oh joy, you talk about family dysfunction. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. After all, he is our brother, so we don't want to kill him, but we want to sell him off. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Hmm. I'm wondering, was this one of the first recorded acts of human trafficking? Think about it. I don't know if some of you have had the opportunity to see The Sound of Freedom, a movie that's out there that is powerful about human trafficking. If you can see it, go and see it. It's a heart wrencher. And it is a heart wrencher because it's reality. And it's still going on today. There are more people in slavery today than at any other time in our world. That's an amazing point. So we have Joseph, he's sold to the Ishmaelites, and then they sold Joseph to the Egyptians, actually an official of Pharaoh, and that ends up, as Jeff already highlighted, to be a blessing. So in this reading that I'm gonna share from you from Genesis 39, it leans into that. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, that's the official, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the, it bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. Highlight that. If you have your Bible open or you're using an app, get the highlighter out and highlight that. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. So here's a man who we're told was handsome in every way, who was thrown into a well, a dry well, taken out of that, sold for 20 shekels, enslaved, ends up being sold to uh, an official in Egypt, and now he's in charge of everything that that official has, the whole household. God's hand is upon this situation. 
But then Joseph ran into some problems. One particular problem, Potiphar's wife. Because Joseph was a handsome guy and technically still a slave, she wanted to take advantage of the situation. She wanted to sleep with him. But Joseph said no. Joseph honored God and honored his master and fought against it. And, well, if you want to get into the details of that, you got to read scripture because that'd make a little much longer sermon. And Jeff already did most of it. So anyways, but because of this Potiphar's wife, because of this situation and his refusal to sleep with her, he ends up in jail. So Joseph, once a high, highfalutin guy, he's now in prison. But God has an amazing way to use us even when we're at our lowest point. Joseph is in prison and Pharaoh's cupbearer, an official of Pharaoh's uh, palace had done some bad stuff and now he's in prison. But Joseph was able to interpret a dream through the power of God for this cupbearer. And that was a blessing. It said, the scripture says, then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And this is a highlight for us to remember because it's not Joseph doing the interpretation. It's God giving him the honor and power to do it. So Joseph is just a conduit in this way. He didn't take all that power on himself. He recognized it was God who was in control of this. So let me read some of this scripture starting at verse 14 and tell you about what the dream meant. But when all goes well with you to the cupbearer who he interpreted the dream for, remember me and show me kindness and mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. So he used the power that God gave him to interpret the dream for the cupbearer. Now the cupbearer is getting out and Joseph is going, get me out too. Because even though he might have been a smart guy and a handsome guy, he didn't want to spend the rest of his life in prison. And I don't blame him either on that one. But then further on in our reading, going down to verse 23 in chapter 40, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph and forgot him. So here's the guy, Joseph, who gets the cupbearer, the dream credit, and the cupbearer forgets him and leaves him in prison to rot away. Oftentimes, we take credit or are given gifts that we, that we highlight in ourselves as opposed to honoring God and honoring other people. And the cupbearer is honoring himself. He thinks he's all that and more as opposed to giving honor to Joseph right away. But God has a way to work these things out. The cupbearer ends up remembering Joseph because the boss, Pharaoh, is having these dreams that need to be interpreted. And then the cupbearer goes, hey, I know a guy that can do this. So now Joseph gets out of prison. He comes onto the scene and he says to Pharaoh about the interpretation of dreams. I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answers he desires. And then we have Joseph sharing what God revealed to him regarding the details of Pharaoh's dream. And because of that, we have verses 39 and 40 in scripture. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all, pe all my people are to submit to your orders. You know God had to be in charge of this. Man wouldn't have made this transition going to prison and getting out and now being in charge of the Pharaoh's palace. Imagine that. You all know Pharaohs from times past. Maybe you've done the dance of the Egyptian, whatever, at weddings. But anyways, so Joseph is now a big shot. He's near the top of the heap. So we can give thanks for that because God has placed him there. So Joseph is in charge of Egypt right now, in a sense. He's the, the Pharaoh's main guy. So he went from being trafficked by his brothers to being the boss in this situation. And he's managing everything in Egypt. Now, part of that dream structure that I mentioned before uh, related to a famine coming. So Joseph helped build up all the sources of food and everything before the famine struck. And he was a hero in that regard. But the famine now is across the land. Joseph's family, remember his brothers and his dad, his family has come to Egypt now to be able to, for a better term, beg for food, beg for a better life. And they come before Joseph. Now, if you were Joseph, and you saw the guys, the brothers, who threw you into a pit and then trafficked you, sold you into slavery. What are the thoughts that would be going through your mind? What are the challenges that you may have? So we have Joseph's brother, brothers before him, not necessarily knowing who he is. This brings us to Exodus, Genesis chapter 45 and our focus text for today. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save the lives that God has sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made my father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Gashan and be near me. You and your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine is still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will be destitute. 
So Joseph is laying this out to his brothers who had sold them him into slavery. I think that's an amazing turn and the grace of God showing through in that situation. There are so many important verses to walk through in Genesis 45, 1 through 11. The verse that Joseph wept, I think is powerful. He never knew if he would see his family again. And yet there his family comes before him in a sense begging to him. And he wept because this reunion was going to take place. Maybe you've had that situation where a sibling has broken away from the family or maybe you have broken away from the family and then at one point there's a reunion and you get to come together and maybe you wept. Verse three, he expresses his heartfelt concern asking if his father is still living. This would be Jacob or Israel. He cared deeply still about his father, even though this is years past. And his father was already very old when he was born. In verse five, he tells them, don't be distressed. Now you put yourself in the place of those brothers. You're coming to beg for food basically. And you found out, find out that the guy that's gonna give you or grant you that blessing is also the one you've trafficked. I imagine their, their bodies are just folded down in fear and terror. But Joseph says to them in verse five, don't be distressed. Also in verse five, Joseph said, he was sold into slavery because it was to save lives that God had sent me ahead to do. What a perspective that Joseph has about this. Verse eight, as a reminder, Joseph says this as well. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Not you who sent me here, but God. How often do we honor God in his actions and directions in our life? Some of us may say, oh, it was just a coincidence. Let's give honor to God and the Holy Spirit. Some of us just might think that ah, things just happen. No, for believers, which I pray we're all believers of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we know that God is in control. We just sung a song that had that line in it about God being in control, about his promises being fulfilled. So we have that blessing. And then in verse nine of our focus text from Genesis 45, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Wow. It's like a pronouncement, right? But in this case, in the Old Testament text, Lord is in lowercase because Lord in all uppercase, L-O-R-D, is always in reference to God because the Jewish people would never say God like we say God. Of course, they don't talk about Jesus, but, but they... Uh, didn't want the honor of God, his name coming from their lips. So we'd have this Lord in uppercase. So Joseph tells his brothers to go back and get the rest of the family so that they can live near him, live near Joseph. That way he can provide for all of them, even their animals, we're told. He can provide for them because of his position in government. Let's not forget this that Joseph was in the government. He was a government official. He wasn't running the Midwest Food Bank or something like this. He was seated in a high seat of power 
and he was a government official. And he told them they had to come back because there was still five more years of famine to come and they wouldn't survive it without him. And it's an interesting point for me, something for all of us as believers should honor and adhere to. Joseph doesn't repay evil with evil. Some of you may be thinking that, wow, where's the evil in all of this? Well, Joseph's brothers, back in chapters 34 and 35 of Genesis, read the gory details there, actually slaughtered a bunch of people because their sister Diana, 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 uh, was, well, she had some problems with some other men. And the gory details are in 34 and 35. So their brothers were used to repaying evil with evil. And they did it to Joseph. Joseph, being the most loved son of his father, Jacob Israel, flaunted that. He told them that basically you're going to be like sheep, you're going to bow down to me in the future. He had these dreams that he shared. And his brothers got jealous because of that. But Joseph was bold about it. He wasn't humble about it. And because of that, they thought Joseph was evil. They didn't think that he was a righteous man at that time. So then they repaid evil with evil by selling him off. But Joseph didn't take that opportunity in a sense to be evil to them. The author Brad Hambrick uh, stated, Joseph had the power of his father's favorite son as described in Genesis 37. He's the most beloved son. And according to some theologians, Brad Hamrick wrote about how Joseph never had to do the worst family chores, that he got to skate on all of that. And he got to wear the best clothes, ergo the coat of many colors. He was lifted up above his brothers. So Brad Hamrick wrote about how Joseph flaunted his power over his brothers. But we know the tables got turned and Joseph ends up getting sold. But Joseph doesn't repay evil with evil. And that's something we need to adhere to because there are people in our society that do us wrong. And sometimes we think, we scheme, how can I get them back? How can I do something evil back to them because I believe they've done something evil to me? But as Christians, we're sought to seek forgiveness from God first and foremost and then offer forgiveness to others. We aren't seeking to do evil because evil has been done to us. Joseph wasn't perfect, we know that. But he has been placed in a position by God to bless other people. This position in government allowed him to bless his brothers and by extension, his entire family. And we have that reference that God placed him there. Now Joseph is understanding his place in life that God put him there as that leader in Egypt, as that leader in Pharaoh's household for a reason. And part of our focus text from verse 11 says, Joseph saying, I will provide for you. Now he's already recognized God's in control, so that's great. He's recognizing because of his position, he can provide for his family, and that is a blessing. I believe a God-guided blessing that Joseph has been given. 
Today we're looking in part at Civic from the Discover Your Gifts book, actually from page 57 in the workbook. A quote from 57 reads, every so often in the midst of chaos, you come across an amazing and explicable instance of civic responsibility. So civic as described in the workbook of Discover Your Gifts highlights this. Now, again, Joseph was guided by God, I'm sure of that. But for sure, he's acting in a chaotic moment. The whole known area is in famine. So there's a time of chaos, but his brothers are before him, and he's able to bless them because of his government role. When you hear the word civic, this is rhetorical, by the way, when you hear the word civic, what comes to mind? Is it how you interact with the government? Is it how you select to serve as a citizen of this great country here on earth? Or is it how God guides you to serve as an active citizen in the kingdom of God here on earth? Each of us probably divine, define civic and citizenship in a little bit different way, but ultimately, we're called to respond as citizens of the family of God, of the kingdom of God, and then in our country, in our state, in our community as well. I wanna take you back 60 plus years. January 20th, 1961, John Fitzgerald Kennedy was just inaugurated. He placed his hand on the Bible, he swore his oath, and now he's going to give a speech. January 20th, Washington, D.C. Eight inches of snow had fallen the night before. They had thousands of people out shoveling the snow so this inauguration, this celebration and parade could take place. It's 20 degrees and nearly a million people had gathered to see the inauguration, to hear JFK speak. In his speech, he shared these words. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and success of liberty. He also called on the nation to combat tyranny, poverty, disease, disease and war itself. Now, I bet you're thinking, some of you, those are probably not the quotes I thought when the pastor talked about the inauguration speech of JFK that would come forth. President Kennedy urged American citizens to participate in public service when he said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. He challenged every American to contribute to the society in some way to the public good. It's, it was actually a call, a civic call to action to partake not just take from the government, to partake in the community for the good of all people. And he didn't just stop there for Americans. He actually said this, my fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but together what we can do for the freedom of a man. Boy, how I wish all of these words had come to fruition. We'd be living in a much different space. That last one, fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, 
Seems like almost every country in the world asks what America will do for them. It's my prayer that one day these words do come true, that we can all stand up strong under the umbrella of God and bless others each and every day. What a different world we'd be in today if all those words were realized from 1961. Anyways, as Christians, we're called into civic duty. You're probably wondering, where in the Bible is there a call to civic duty? Actually, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, we find these words. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. How should a citizen of heaven, you and I believers in Jesus Christ, here on earth, follow this biblical civic call? And I believe there are four commands here. The first Peter sums up what God wants us to do in the interaction with our neighbors, other disciples of Jesus Christ, and human authorities. Number one, honor everyone. That's a tough one. It's a pretty broad statement. Honor everyone. But it also is pretty simple for disciples of Jesus Christ. We're called to love one another. We're called to give honor to even those that don't deserve it. So instead of picking and choosing who is worthy of our respect, God's will for us is to offer respect to every single person. Will everyone deserve such treatment? Absolutely not. But oftentimes, Christians offer what other people don't deserve. As biblical Christians, we're supposed to be known as people of grace and giving grace, giving respect, and being obedient to Jesus Christ. The second point, love the brotherhood or love the family of other disciples of Jesus Christ, Peter's writing about. Again, this is a tough blanket statement to live out. To be sure, Peter doesn't mandate us to have strong feelings of like for one another, but he does not particularly point out we should like each other. He describes an act of the will to give love to every other Christian. Jesus says in John 13, verse 35, that the world around us would know we are his disciples by our love for each other. So we are called to love all brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter likely had that in mind. This was made very real to me this past week. I was sitting in Pastor Brian's office for those of you who don't know that, I've taken up his residence at Panera Bread. So sitting in Brian's office while he continues his sabbatical. And anyways, while I'm uh, there and have my laptop out and my Bible out, three gentlemen sit down right next to me. This is a quote from their discussion. If you've been to Panera Bread, people are like four feet away. So it's sort of hard to shut your ears to things that are going on around you. But here's what one of them said. Oh, first, let me share with you. They were talking about their church and about doing stuff at church. This is a quote. Now that the three of us gay guys are on the committee, we should find three lesbians to join us. I was struggling because I had just read 1 Peter. I had just read this text I'm explaining to you. I had to take time and just sit there in prayer. 
because hearing their discussion about church and then hearing that quote just threw me for a loop. But I realized God wants us to love people. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I was praying. I had to stop and pray. I couldn't concentrate on what I was doing anymore. Maybe that's happened to you. You've run into a similar, not identical circumstance. The best thing you can do is just stop and pray. Stop and pray that God, the biblical God we understand, will offer grace and correction. Okay, the third point, First Peter text. Fear God. When using in reference to God, the word fear is not necessarily a, be afraid of God. Many of us know that. God's already demonstrated his love for us in sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to the cross so that we could be forgiven and that we could live forever with him in eternity as chosen, forgiven children. But Peter's command reminds us to continue to hold his power, the power of God, his majesty, sovereignty, and awe and wonder. And that's that word fear, to hold God in awe and wonder. We're to be humble servants. The previous uh, text in Peter talks about how we're to be slaves to God. Finally, the fourth point, honor the king. Again, the king, the emperor, president, governor, mayor, may not be an honorable person, but we're called to honor them. Peter's writing this at the time of Nero, the emperor who wanted to wipe out followers of the way. And yet he's still telling disciples then as it shares with us now that we're to honor the emperor, the leaders, the elected leaders. Command stands 2,000 years later. In addition, Paul wrote in Romans 13, verse 1, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. It is not easy being a biblical Christian. When we go through things like the COVID challenges and the government interference and all of that, we're still called to honor and understand that God is in control. We're called to give honor and respect to the earthly king as free and foreign citizens. We're answerable to the authority of the king, which is Jesus Christ. But we also have a responsibility to offer grace and obedience to a degree here on earth. So I'm gonna to start to wrap up this message on this particular point of civic that's found in the gifts book. Civic gifts include, but are not limited to this, advocacy, knowledge of political systems, and the ability to think about civic and political life. And some of you may do that regularly, that you advocate for some cause in the public, that you take seriously the times when you get to vote for something or someone. How do we use this civic gift to whatever degree you may have it? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand if you took the, the survey and civic gifts number one for you or anything like that, don't know about that. But we're called to be people that participate 
in the local government, as an example. We're called to be leaders in the community, and oftentimes that means you need to partner with somebody in the civic side and those that have the authority to address the issue that you're going through. So have you done that lately? Have you participated in some government activity lately? Some of you have. You probably didn't think of it that way. It was on Friday night at the Union Park Pond. You partnered with a community group, actually the Bloomington Parks and Rec, a government agency. Yes, I'm speaking of the special opportunities available in recreation, SOAR, the fishing event. Now, I am sure that as some of you were standing on the shoreline, you're like, I'm using my civic gift. <sighs> Didn't cross your mind because you were there as a follower of Jesus Christ serving as Doug and others of you did, serving our Lord and Savior, who is Jesus the Christ. Here's another point about civic that some of you may not realize you were under that rule. There was a recent council meeting, and during most council meetings at churches, you're under Robert's Rules of Orders. That's a government connection for us. I thought I had to highlight that because it was on the Gifts Workbook, page 59. Just thought I'd throw that in there for you people that enjoy Robert's Rules. Civic is an interesting topic, but I can't use everything I thought I was going to use in this sermon because we have the same thing next week when we're blessed to be a blessing in our sermon series. We're going to introduce everyone to Cornelius from the book of Acts. So at this time, I'm gonna conclude in prayer. I invite everyone to bow your head and give focus to God. Father God, in your graciousness, bless us with biblical thoughts when we struggle with what is going on here on earth. Guide us in our civic gifting, in our civic responsibilities. Cause us to live out your desires above our own. Cause us to love you and love one another. Bless us to be a blessing in this kingdom until we are blessed for eternity in your heavenly kingdom. Lord, in your mercy, 